0: Welcome. So glad you decided to join us today. You know, it feels like we're entering into a new season. We're on this sort of journey um, out of lockdown, and there are things that we can begin to do maybe for the first time in a long while, or maybe we can do more of. I wonder what's uh, top of your list as you look ahead to the next season. I know for some people shopping's a really really high priority. Can I say shopping is right down the bottom of my list of priorities. And then of course maybe there's enjoying more sport. No surprise that's right near the top of my list. And then how about holidays? You know, anyone looking forward to one of those again? Uh, and what about barbecues? You know, nothing like a great British barbecue hopefully in the sun. You may like to add to that list. You know, what are you actually looking forward to? Well, really right at the top of my list is the opportunity to meet again with family, with friends, with church family in a non-socially distanced, up-close way. And can I say, most of all, I'm looking forward to being a granddad that's right, Emmy and Alex are having a, a baby in, uh, in October, and so we are super, super excited. Now, of course, all those things I've listed are essentially good things. God's a good God. He wants to give us good things. The problem, however, comes when we place these good things, and by the way, becoming a granddad has to be in the category of a great thing, is when we place these good things, as it were, at the center of our lives, we get in a problem. We try and make those good things the ultimate thing and look to them as the ultimate source of our satisfaction and our security. But actually, we were designed to enjoy the good things God's created for us, but not to have them, as it were, on the throne of our hearts. Because right at the center... In our hearts, we need to reserve the place for one and only person who, of course, is Jesus Christ. And what I find is that when I get Jesus at the very centre, it doesn't mean I can't enjoy all those other things and the, these, these wonderful relationships. It means that they're in their right place, they're, as it were, um, out there, and he's on, in the centre. It means I can enjoy these things in a right way without, as it were, making them idols And also, it means that I can keep bad stuff out of my life too. But of course, that's easier said than done, isn't it? I'm aware, as I'm sure you are, just how easy it is to put other things at the centre of my life. Hence, the burden for this next season that we have is this call, almost like a prayer and a cry to the Lord, which is, revive us, revive us. It's based on Psalm 85, verse 6. It goes like this. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The word revive there, one definition is to give life, sorry, to give new life or energy to. To give new life or energy to. It highlights here in this verse that revival is something that doesn't start out there it starts in here. It starts with the people of God. So to help us with this Revivus theme, I want us to go back in time, not <clears throat> to just over a year ago, to uh, before the pandemic, but I want us to go back, as it were, 2,000 years, right back to a really critical new season. It was actually a whole new era, which was when the Holy Spirit was outpoured and when the first church was as it were, birthed. And we want to go back and we want to look at something of the vibrancy of the first Christians and ask the Lord to do something similar in us. And so as we look at this whole theme of revival, there's two things I want to focus on. First is, I want to focus on asking the Lord to help us have a revival of passion for Jesus. That's it, a revival of passion for Jesus. I wonder how you would describe your passion level right now. You know, if you've got a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is virtually non-existent, 10 is, as it were, just doing fantastic, where would your passion level be? Well, I suspect for many of us it might be somewhere in the middle. And if we're honest, we could probably all say, yeah, I need my passion for Jesus to be in some way revived or taken to a greater level. I want to make sure that Jesus is, in fact, the centre of my life and everything else is in its rightful place. Well, if we um, have a sense that we need reviving, we need God to do some work in our hearts, then actually we're in really good company. Because if we go back to, um, to the Gospels and to the beginning of um, Acts chapter 1, we'll see that um, the disciples themselves were in a place where they needed Jesus to revive them. In particular. The leading disciple, the one who's often mentioned first in the list of the apostles, Simon Peter, was somebody desperately in need of Jesus reviving and restoring him. You see, Peter was somebody, <clears throat> his, he was nicknamed Peter by Jesus, which means the rock. Peter did something very unrock like. He denied Jesus three times. And then along with uh, many of the other disciples, he, w- he would have fled. He would have been um, living in fear while Jesus was being crucified. And so imagine the sense of shame, the sense of failure. Here's a, a guy who had a great call on his life. Jesus had said, you know, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. And here he is, he's denying Jesus. Jesus. But the good news for Peter and the good news for all of us is if we've fallen or failed or if our passion level is low, he doesn't leave us there. He actually came and he took the initiative and he lovingly restored Peter. We know that um, Jesus appeared to Peter on Easter Day. He appeared to him with the other disciples. And then what looks like several weeks later after the resurrection, Jesus again appeared to Peter and um, uh, some of the other disciples on a, a beach at Galilee where they had breakfast. And Peter used this occasion, sorry, Jesus used this occasion to restore Peter. And he goes, as it were, to the core issue for Peter, which I believe is the core issue for all of us, which is a love issue. And so rather than condemning Peter for what he's done, he asks him a question. Do you love me? He actually asks it uh, three times almost as a way of just sort of a, a, a reminder, just like you denied me three times, Peter, I wanna to go to the core of the issue. I wanna do real surgery here and free you. I wanna ask you three times the same question, do you love me? And the first time he asked that question, he, Jesus put it this way, do you love me more than these? More than these. Now we don't know what the more than these meant, but it's Jesus' way of saying to, to Peter, Am I at the very centre? Am I at the very core of your life? And Peter, and we don't know whether he said it very affirmatively or slightly tentatively, he said, um, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. <laughs> at one occasion, he said, yes, Lord, you know all things. In other words, I can't fake it before you, Jesus. Yes, I failed you, but at the core of my being, I do love you. And then I love the way the whole story kind of concludes. Peter isn't just, um, as it were, forgiven and set free from that sense of failure and shame. But then Jesus immediately recommissions Peter and sends him back into the glorious destiny he has for his life. And that phrase, do you love me more than these, is something I felt the Lord actually um, saying to me over, over these last few days and weeks. Do you love me, Dave, more than these? Do you love me more than other things? Do you love me more than other relationships? Am I at the very centre? I wonder how you'd ask that question today. You would answer that question. Do you love me more than these? Uh, when our girls were very young, we would watch lots of um, things like Disney films, you know, including things like Bambi and Pinocchio. Uh, one day, Karen was reading a children's Bible to Emily and she asked Emily, do you love Jesus? She said, yes, but I love Jiminy Cricket more. <laughs> well, at least she was being honest. But it actually made us realise as parents, maybe things are a bit out of balance. Maybe we just need to reduce the Disney input a little bit and increase uh, reading her Bible stories. But joking aside, it's the same for us too. You see, I find that if I focus, I so too, I spend time thinking about investing in time, energy, money, in things other than Jesus, my, my passion level can dim. Because as it were, my heart begins to, begins to follow where I'm spending uh, my energy. But equally, I find that if I'm actually putting Jesus first, Um, I'm spending time with him every day in the morning. I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm journaling. And then for me, a game changer is not just in the morning and then just leave Jesus as it were and then carry on with my day doing my own thing. I find for me, it's critical then to take little moments throughout the day. I don't have to, but I want to because I love him and I love spending time with him. So going on little prayer walks, you know, having times, not necessarily asking him for lots of things, but experiencing again his love for me and my love for him, and that that little emphasis there, I believe, is absolutely critical. You see, core to me, having a revival of my passion for Jesus, is knowing ultimately His passion for me. It's interesting that the the root meaning of the word uh, passion, and we see it in the New Testament, is actually suffering. Suffering, and so when uh, Mel Gibson, you know. Uh, called the title of the film The Passion of the Christ, he was actually basically saying this is gonna be a film about the suffering of Christ. What does all that say? It means that if you and I are gonna have a revived passion for Jesus, it goes back to us constantly reminding ourselves about his suffering for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He first loved us. He laid his life down for us. And then on a daily basis to constantly just be aware of and allow him to touch us afresh with his unconditional, extravagant love for us. And when we are touched by the love of God, by, as it were, Jesus' passion for us in a fresh way, our passion gets revived. New York pastor John Tyson puts it this way. The wild, unrestricted love of God determines why and what time you get up in the morning, how you pass your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, and who you hang with. It affects what breaks your heart, what amazes you, and what makes your heart happy. So that's the first thing I want to say about this cry for revival. We need a revival of passion for Jesus. But there's another side to the coin, which is this. Secondly, we need a revival of power from Jesus. Revival of passion for Jesus and then a revival of power from Jesus. Passion and power. Why? Because we are not designed to live the Christian life in our own strength. You may be trying it that way, and maybe that's why you're struggling. Maybe you're trying to love Jesus or follow him or f- live out his purpose, and you, you, like Peter, you feel like you're failing spectacularly. Can I say, even Jesus didn't try and live out his life and ministry without, uh, on his own. Rather, he relied upon, as a, as a human... Although he's the son of God, he was a real man. He relied upon the empowering of the third person of the Trinity who is the Holy Spirit. Can I say to you that we have the promise of someone who we can't see but who's just as real as Jesus, who's all loving, all powerful. He's, he's present everywhere. He's all knowing. He's the helper. He is the Holy Spirit and he wants to help you. He wants to empower you to live The rest of your life. Hence, at the start of the book of Acts, we see Jesus having uh, appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. Towards the end of that time, he starts speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's ready to give them their assignment. He's about to go to be with the Father, and then he says, Right, guys, I want you to carry on my mission. And so he says this to them Wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. I love that there. Notice he doesn't say, wait for a gift, as if, well, you know, it's a nice thing to have. No, he describes the, 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 the Holy Spirit as the gift, the gift of all gifts. <laughs> we can't live without the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and uses an image, he actually, water language. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now you may know, but that word baptism uh, means Uh, Immersion. When somebody is baptised, they're immersed in water. They're literally plunged under the water. They're brought up again. But when it talks about the baptism or the immersion in the Spirit, I think a better analogy is, as it were, standing under a waterfall. I many, remember many years ago actually going uh, to Niagara <laughs> and going very near the Niagara Falls and you're just aware of the incredible power. Imagine standing under the Ni- Niagara Falls. That is a true picture of drenching. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I, I know for me, you know, that I need, as it were, a regular drenching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here to, uh, watching and you've never received the Holy Spirit You know, you're not aware of power at work in your life. Well, I've got good news for you. There is a promise that for all his children, that God wants to give you this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you with power, as it were, new life, new energy, so that you can live your life to the full in a way that pleases God, is good for you and blesses other people. But maybe you're like me and you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. You as it were, been baptized in the Spirit. Well, then I believe we need to pray, Lord, we need you to fill us. We need you to energize us again. Because you see, without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to fulfill God's plan for our lives. Acts 1 verse 8, very um, central scripture to the whole of Acts. Jesus said um, to his disciples, basically he says, I'm about to go to be with the Father. And he says, but what you need is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, you'll know me and you'll make me known, but you can't do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. I love the word power there used here. It's uh, the word dunamis from which we get our word dynamite. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you the dynamite power of God, the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need to pray. You see, even if we've received the Spirit already, we need to keep praying and asking the Lord for more of the Spirit. In one sense, we need like Ephesians 5.18 to go on being filled with the Spirit. It's like continually filled. And I think we can learn something from the early Christians here although we don't need, as it were, to wait as they did in the same way for the Spirit to be outpoured because we live post-Pentecost, I think we can learn something from their passionate praying. We see here how <clears throat> Jesus has ascended. And what they do is, rather than just waiting for the Spirit to come. This is what they were doing. It says, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. As I look back over decades of you know, our history as a church, you know, we've had many, many seasons of prayer. We've had times of intensely seeking God. I, mean, I believe we need, as we go into this new season, we need to seek God like never before. And we need to say, Lord, we're asking you, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, but we're asking you to come on us again. We want a revival of your power. So to continue the story in Acts, after 10 days, we read how at the start of Acts 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You've got this picture of this. They're all waiting on God. They're all praying. They're seeking God together. And then it says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow, this is a defining moment. This is the beginning of a new era. This is the birthday of the church. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on a few special individuals for special tasks. Of course, the Holy Spirit was, um, was resident and was empowering Jesus. But here we have the Holy Spirit coming not just on Peter, although he did come on Peter, by the grace of God, not just on the 12 apostles, but on the whole company. Every single one of them that were, that were praying together were filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we have in this glorious little passage two further symbols of the Spirit. We've had a picture of water being drenched, being immersed, refreshed and empowered, baptized. But here we have two further symbols. One is wind and the other is fire. Why wind? Well, I think partly um, because, um, you know, if you go back to the, again, the, the word for spirit in, in the Greek New Testament is pneuma, literally it means um, breath or wind. So we could say he's the holy breath or the holy wind of God. But also I think there's something about this, this blowing of a violent wind. Wind symbolise something that's invisible, something we can't control the wind. The wind blows wherever it chooses. And I think in this context, Tor, it's talking about the power of God, the invisible presence of God. I remember several weeks ago, um, when I first started hearing the recording of the song that the team had done "A Fresh Wind, the first time I heard it, I thought, that's it. That's what God's wanting to do amongst us right now. He wants to come and he wants to bring, as it were, a fresh wind into our lives, I shared about this in a leaders meeting and one of the team had a picture um, of um, a massive ship with many sails. And the the prophetic word was this, that basically we're like a big ship (laughs) and there are many sails. But we need, as it were, to trim our sails. We need to get our sails ready. If they're in the wrong direction, we need to align them up so that we can actually, as it were, catch the fresh uh, wind of the Spirit. I love that. You know that you know it's not just a, a collective response. This is about all of us individually playing our part. All saying, Lord, I, if I'm out of line, I want to adjust my life. I want to catch the prevailing wind of the Spirit, and as we all play our part, we all, as it were, set our sails in the right direction, I believe the breath of God is going to come upon us, and He's going to move us forward into a new season of His destiny and His purposes for us as a people. So we have wind, wonderful, and then we have fire. It said, tongues of fire came to rest upon each of them. If you look through the Bible, fire is a symbol of the invisible holy, um, purifying, all-consuming presence of God. And just as in the Old Testament, you you saw the fire coming on, as it were, the physical house of God on the tabernacle and then on the temple. Here we see the Holy Spirit now coming in, in this new covenant, on the new temple of God, not on a physical building. He came into the room, but he actually came on, as it were, the, the living stones, on the on the the, the, the the living temples, the people of God, the Church of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, um, the Holy Spirit wants to come on us afresh, with fresh fire. That the fire that purifies, the fire that consumes, the fire that protects the glorious holy presence of God. And that's what we believe uh, for this season. We need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need to set the sails of our lives, as it were, and catch the fresh wind of the Spirit. And we need to say, Holy Spirit, come on us like fresh fire, burn in us, burn out the dross, uh, restore and revive our passion for Jesus um, in glory and praise to our God. So how do we respond then? What does it look like in practice? Well, if you look in Acts chapter two, verse 38, at the end of Peter's Pentecost sermon that we'll look at in a couple of weeks time, and then also into Acts chapter three, verse 19, which, are, which is a post-Pentecost uh, scripture, which I love. It says this, re- the, the same theme comes through. Two things, there's a, a call to repent and receive. Acts three nineteen says, repent then and turn to God So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that what we need? Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Firstly, there's that word repent. Literally, in the New Testament, it had the idea of a change of mind. And you put that together with the Old Testament picture of a change of direction. It's saying we we need to, as it were, turn the direction of our lives. It says, you know, repent, turn away from sin. Turn away from compromise. Turn away from putting our trust in things or our source of security in things other than Jesus and turn towards God and make Jesus center stage in our lives. And then we will receive, repent and receive. What we receive, we will receive uh, the cleansing of God, but we'll receive the fresh wind and fire of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do now is I want to focus our response by taking communion together. Um, You know, if you've got the elements ready, you know, bread and wine or bread and juice, whatever, you might like just to to get them in your hand because communion is a way where we remind ourselves that ultimately the only reason we can have passion for Jesus or power from Jesus is because he first loved us. As it were, our passion is based on his passion, his sufferings, his extravagant unconditional, sacrificial love. When he went to the cross, his body was broken. And this bread is is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus for us. And so as you um, get ready to take the bread and take the wine, I just want to pause for a moment and ask you a question. You know, where are you at with Jesus right now? In answer to Jesus' question, do you love me more than these? Is there anything, as it were, on the throne of your heart? Is there any way that you've allowed compromise? Maybe they're good things, but you've just got them out of focus, that they're in a place where Jesus should be. And it's your opportunity to say, Lord, I want to reconsecrate my life. I want to take this thing, this relationship, this thing that I'm so looking forward to, this thing that matters so much to me, this thing that gives me a sense of security. I want to say, Lord, thank you that it's a gift from you, but I want to place it where it should be. And I wanna place you, Jesus, afresh on the throne of my heart. Why not just ask the Lord, what would he say to you? What adjustments do you need to make? Or back to the picture of the the ship, you know, how do you need to turn your sails? Maybe you've been facing slightly in the wrong direction. Maybe you haven't been lifting your sails at all and you feel just a bit stuck or stalled. Reposition your life before the Lord. And then let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you so much. Just join along with me. Pray in your own words. Thank you, Lord, that you died for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you first love for us. Thank you, Lord, that your body was broken, that we might be healed, that we might be born again, that we might have eternal life. And so right now, why don't you just join with me? Let's take the bread and remind ourselves that Jesus' body was broken for us. And even as we physically take the bread, as we ingest it, Let's, as it were, use this as an opportunity to say, Jesus, come and fill every part of my life. Be at the very center. And then let's take the, the cup. Father, thank you for the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Thank you, Lord, that on the cross you suffered, you died, your blood was shed, that we might be forgiven we might be set free. Like Peter, we might be restored and recommissioned. Lord, if we've sinned, we confess our sins. ask you to forgive us and cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I'd like to pray for all of us for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. For some of you, it may be this is the first time. For many of us, this is like an opportunity to be refilled again. So, Father, I want to thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you want to fill every single one of your people. Lord, with a revival of your power. Come, Lord, drench us, immerse us. Come, fresh wind of God, blow through our lives, guide us and empower us as we go forward. Come fire of God, burn out the dross, set our hearts on fire for Jesus, in his wonderful name, I pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill every home, every heart, where we gather together in person, fill every room with your glory and your presence. Not just today, but the rest of this day, In the coming days, in the weeks and the months, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, come, let us experience a revival of passion for Jesus and a revival of power from Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue responding, we're going to sing together this glorious song, Fresh Wind.